Hello Life Changes Church, we are in our Move Again series as we look through the book of Exodus and how God took the Israelites out of slavery, through the wilderness and into his promises. So why don't you grab a notebook and pen and enjoy this sermon. In a series called Move Again, if you're just joining us, whether online at home or in service today, we've been on a journey for a number of weeks, probably the best part of the last two months, two and a half months, where God is calling us and speaking us through this book of Exodus. You've enjoyed it. You're enjoying it. I trust that God is continuing to speak and continuing to challenge. And maybe you've heard this word Exodus in different contexts. You're going, well, what does it really mean? You've heard it when when they describe that migration from Gauteng to Durban in July holidays. It's the exodus of Gauteng towards the beaches of Durban. That's an exodus. Another exodus would be halftime in a Manchester United game these days. That, that's an exodus. You just see the crowds leaving. Sorry, Quinton. I, just, I don't even like soccer, but I just like saying that. And there also are the exoduses, tragedies of our world, like 5.7 million refugees in an exodus away from a nation they loved. A nation two months ago was home and stable and secure. These are the challenges. Exodus is a word that is actually translated from the Greek, and it actually means the road out or the way out. Ex meaning um, to the out of as a prefix to hodos, which is the road or a way. It is the way out. And as we look at the Exodus, it's this way out, this road out that God leads his people on out of Egypt. But I want to challenge you today as we start drawing to an end in the series that actually the Exodus was not about them leaving Egypt. It's not about the feet of the Egyptians leaving Egypt. It's about God preparing a people who Egypt had left them and left their hearts, come out of their stories. And I'm going to challenge us today because I think some of us can read if, if our circumstance would just change, if we could just leave this place. The challenges, stats will tell us that 50% of people who've experienced violent domestic abuse return to that same place within a year. Unless my heart leaves, I have a longing to go back. And the challenge of the book of Exodus, it starts with the people who are abused. They are slaves for 400 years. The only good they had in life was to serve the Egyptian architecture and build their pyramids and build their stories as slaves. They were fed just enough. They were given just enough to survive. They, they would continue and every child that was conceived within their people were born into slavery. They would have had their hopes, their dreams shattered. So it's easy to stand on this side of history and go, really, guys? Like God took you out of Egypt and into a road, a journey away from, into freedom, and and you got upset when the the food didn't come as quickly as you'd hoped. You thought, oh, it's just manna, it's just quail. You're you're away. It's easy to take that posture. It's easy to go, really, you were that impatient that when Moses took a little while to come down from the presence of God on top of the mountain, you started melting down gold and ripping out your gold and making idols. It's easy to stand on this side of history and this side of the Bible being written and presented going, really? And yet the challenge is, it's our hearts that do the same thing. And God is speaking to us. If this series and us preaching through a series is just informing the church so the church will be better informed, I'm telling you, we're completely missing the point. God is wanting to get to our hearts. God is wanting to do a sign and a wonder and a miracle in our hearts. So as we navigate this, I want to tell you that before the exodus is a journey, it's a trust journey. Our hearts have to navigate. We live in a trust deficit world. 
Leaders have failed people. In every sphere of culture and society, leaders have failed and fathers have failed and, and, and mothers have failed. And, and, and people live in a world where like, if you want me to trust me, you've got to prove it. I'm one of those kind of dwarf guys a little bit. I like default to trust. If you do strength finders, I'm not the relator. Anybody done strength finders? Like they like, you hurt me once, I'm out. It's like, I just don't do that. I'm like, no, no, no. And, and yet God is calling us to be people who trust him. And I'll explain that more as we go. But I want to call us to three stages of trust that are so essential in our journey of navigating personally in the exoduses that God's called us to go on. Why do we preach exodus? Because every single person in this room has got to go on the journey out. First, trust Him in the leaving behind. And um, the challenge of the very definition of an exodus is you've got to leave something behind. The exodus in Ukraine, they're leaving behind memories and family and history. It's a challenge. But even for the Israelites, they're crying out and they're now out in the desert free from the whips and chains and yet Pharaoh decides to come after them. God's done miracles and this is their cry. You are no longer to supply the people's straw. This is what, um, no, that's the wrong script. I'm going to jump in. Exodus 14. The, the, the Pharaoh is coming off them. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching off them. Remember, God's done the t- 10 plagues. Remember the Passover. Remember his provision. They were terrified. Remember, he defeated the Amalekites already. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the desert? What you have done is to bring to us is by bringing us out of Egypt. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? What a radical, radical indictment upon these people. They would rather be under the whips and chains with their children having zero future or status in life where they would be killed for sport. They're saying, we'd rather be there. Why? You know those terrible colloquial sayings, the devil we know rather than the devil we don't? What we know and familiar with and what the road out is an unfamiliar road. It looks like a road through a desert. It looks like a road through a wilderness. That's what it is. And you don't know what it looks like at the end. You know there'll be more giants. There'll be more rivers to cross. You know that's coming. See, unfortunately, outside of the presence of God, man, uh, man defaults to a slave master. And serving a slave master to the point that we'll go on our own self-destructive ways to find a slave master to serve rather than worship of the living God. It's just the default of man. From Adam and Eve in the garden, read almost every biblical character. And outside of the presence of God, David steps one moment away from the front lines of worshiping God where he should have been. He steps onto a balcony. What does he default to? His lusts and desires. Great King David, almost every character, you can look at the character and go, wow, there is this default. But to begin the road out is to be willing and able to leave Egypt behind. I want to throw a scripture at you. You probably haven't heard a church in a while. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. On that day, let, let no one on the housetop come down to, this is Jesus speaking, to retrieve the, um, his possessions. Likewise, let no one in the field return for anything he has left behind saying, leave it all. On that day, leave it all. And then this one random three-word sentence, remember Lot's wife. 
And he just carries on. Whoever tries to save his life will lose it. Remember Lot's wife, because they would have known the story from Genesis in the Pentateuch about Lot's wife. What happened with Lot's wife? Well, her family were spared from the fire and the sulfur that God rained down upon Sodom, a city of absolute chaos. So much to the point that God rains down upon that city, but he chooses to spare Lot and his family, and he gives them one instruction, do not turn back. Do not look back. You see, the problem is she had been blessed. Their family had been blessed. They were people who had been favored in Sodom. They had, they had wealth there. They had probably homes there. They had had good times there. Some good memories were there. And they start to walk, and, 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 and her heart begins to long because it's not her head thinking, I should look back because her head knows God says, look this way. But her heart starts to say, I had good times there. Her heart starts to say, I have got wealth there. Her heart starts to say, what have I got here? Nothing. So she turns. And in an instant, she's turned into a pillar of salt. Yes, it's one of those very weird Bible stories. You're going, what happened there? But Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Why? Because the materialistic desires inside of her pulled her to turn back to her Egypt. What was Sodom? It was her Egypt. It was her place that, of familiarity, her place where even though she was a slave, she was alive. She knew what was expected every day, Groundhog Day, whoop, beating, going to work, tired, fall asleep, a little bit of water, a little bit of food, mm, not so good, carry on. God says, I've got so much more for you. But to go into the promised land, to go on your journey, your exodus, is not about reaching a promised land, it's about leaving Egypt behind. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. I hear people sometimes romanticizing their lives before Christ. And I'm going, wow, you make it sound like you really miss the psychedelic drugs that used to take you on those trips. I'm going, buddy, those also led to this chaos. You remember that? And they talk about the, the, the time they were driving the 5.8 liter something guzzler that put them in financial debt. And I'm going, yeah, we can talk about the talk on the car, but we can also talk about the talk on the car in the banker. I'm just being real with this is life. That's what Egypt looks like for us. I'm saying, if God's taking you out, if you can afford that, cool. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if this is Egypt for you, if this was slave mastery in your life, you can leave it behind. It's a turning. And then, what about trusting him in the moving through? See, it's one thing to leave. That's one part of the Exodus journey. Now we've got to move through the desert. How do you get through the desert? Well, you need water. You need food. And God says, I'm going to provide. And he starts to provide. And, and we all know those funny um, fail videos. You love it. You, I know you do. You're all going to like sit there like, no, I don't. No, you know the guy who goes to a team building event and the tech guy says, close your eyes, cross your arms. Your team's going to stand behind you. Now you need to fall. And he falls forward. You know, it's awesome. I love that stuff. Sorry. But it's like that guy's got trust issues now. That's the reality because he was supposed to fall back. Team catches him. Happy days. Everyone trusts. No, we, we live in a trust deficit world. And so the, Jesus knew this. And Jesus says, in the prayer, I want you to pray daily. I'm going to teach you how to pray. Our Father, give us our daily bread. He says, because we have the Spirit of God today. How he did that for the Egyptians is he literally only gave them their daily bread. Manna and quail. He says, I'm not giving you tomorrow. Is it going to be off by tomorrow? This ain't no Woolworth stuff. This stuff's going off. You're going to eat this today. Woolworth's not Woolworth's. You can eat in three weeks' time. That roll's still fresh and juicy. It's not that. This is today's meal, meat. 
food, whatever it was, manna. See, but we're starting, but what about the nest egg I need for him? And we live in an economy that's up and down. So God, surely you want me. Wisdom says, and God says, no, I'm looking for trust. It's all I've ever looked for, a people who trust me. And here's this amazing thing. This journey is unbelievable. These people were slave, slaves under the whips and chains of their masters. They, they lived in an economy of, if I worked hard, I took enough beatings, I would just get enough food to survive. They had learned that economy. Jesus was trying to rip that out of them. He's trying to rip it out of them. It's not easy. It's not easy to get something you've learned over 400 years through behavior. It's not easy. Jesus knows, I've got to get that out of them, that economy. So he takes them out of the economy of Egypt and into a desert where there's no economy. There's just manna every morning and water from rocks. And you're hungry the next day? God provides. He's teaching them that you do not buy into a buy and sell world economy and thrive and survive only by that. You are called to be sons and daughters of the living God. Who, although fathers on this earth give good gifts, how much more the Father in heaven and daily he provides. And I start deep, I break out from my default to buying and selling in the economies that are up and down in this world. And I start buying into, I can trust him. He is faithful. It's a hard thing. But he took them out of Egypt to rip that economy out of them. But you know what? God does such an amazing thing in the Exodus journey. Here's the testimony of those same people. If they were at church today telling, well, this is our testimony. We used to trust our, our, our slave masters for a little bit of food. But let's tell you the testimony what God has done in our hearts. It says this in Exodus 36, a testimony of the people. Then Moses and Bezalel and Aholiab, I think. And every gifted artisan whose heart the Lord had put wisdom. Everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work, the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Understand this. These are the same slaves who went to the desert with their little. They didn't set up mining companies. Like they built that, that fancy candle in the tabernacle and all the mercy seats out of gold and all that from melted down earrings and family heirlooms that they brought as freewill offerings. Free will offerings. These were not mandated offerings. These were free will offerings. Moses wasn't going around and checking jewelry boxes in the tents. He, he said, do you want a partner in building something for the presence of God? And they said, yes. He says this. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was too much. Take that bucket away from that lady. Stop her putting in that earring. Imagine that. Who's ever been to a church service like that? We will not. You cannot. Restrain that man from giving. He's getting on a cell phone to give. Stop him. Imagine that. Why? How? Were they more wealthy? No, they'd been in a desert. They hadn't done any trade with any nation. They were surviving. 
But in their surviving, they became sons and daughters. In their surviving, the economies of Egypt got ripped out and they realized we buy into a bigger story. God's taking us somewhere. We want him in the middle. And that is ripped out of them. I want to tell you, it's a revelation thing. Giving is not a money thing. It's a revelation thing. It's a who is God, who am I, and I'm on my journey with him. And so we've got to learn to trust him in the moving through. And maybe that's your situation right now. It's emotional. It's financial. It's relational. It's trusting God for a child in a womb where doctors have said things. That's what it looks like. Allow God to teach you the economies of heaven. Allow him to take you into his presence and in his presence reveal his word. See, many have read the Bible without any presence of God or any, and, and they go, oh, I got it. I've sat with, with students from Oxford University doing PhDs in theology who told me they did not believe in truth. But with the presence of God, everything changes. The Spirit of God. I want to point number three, and probably the most important, trust in God will always, that God will always be with you. The big question, as they left the the walls, the fort, uh, the, the fortitude of the city they'd been slaves in for 400 years. They step out those walls, and the only thing they need answered is, God, will you really be with us? See, sometimes as you step out on journeys of faith, God, will you really be with me? Be it the first time you give time, the first time you sow your offering, and you step up to lead worship, and you're going, yeah, would anybody sing with me? Remember the first time I was asked to preach? I chickened out of it. At 11 o'clock the night before, yes, your fearless preacher man this morning. Only get a phone call back at 12, you will. I say, yes, I will. For, <laughs> I will, of course I will. And, um, but, but every time it demands faith, I've got to trust him. And I'll trust, he will be with me. Will he really be with us? See, we've got to pray that prayer, pray it in Mark 9. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. If you're a believer for any amount of time, you've prayed that prayer somewhere. Like, Jesus, I believe. Help me. See, God's made his promises. He said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Not so they could wander around in a desert. Not even so they'd be free. Let my people go so they may worship me. Why? Because worship is intimate. Worship is relational. Worship is proskuneo, to come forward, to kiss. It is something special. It is a relational demand. Let my people go so they can be with me. Not just in the promised land. We think the end game goal of the Exodus was the promise that it wasn't. I'm going to tell you what it was now. Exodus chapter 40. The pinnacle of the whole book of Exodus is not Sinai and the mountain. Cool moments. It's not water from rocks. It's not even the plagues and what God did there. Those are awesome moments. The pinnacle to me is the very last scriptures in the book of Exodus. Chapter 40, verse 34 Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle in the midst. It's just said um, in the scripture above, Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded, and he had finished the work. We've got the tabernacle in the presence of God, and all of a sudden, see, that cloud is called the Shekinah glory of God. It is the tangible, visible presence of God that comes upon that visible center of the people of God as they surround and they see visibly that God is with us and he does two things he covers over the whole tabernacle 
Moses can't get in. Moses had been into the presence of God a number of times before. His face had shone. There was miracles that have followed. And yet he can't get in. The presence of God is so thick and real and tangible and visible to all around. He covers it. He doesn't just cover it like some covering over. He goes inside and fills the tabernacle. A reminder that for all time, Jesus will come and he will cover. He'll also fill. See, religion just needs us to cover. If we can just get the outside looking good. Jesus says, I'm not in for that. Religion says if you can just get, Egypt, just get out of Egypt, stop doing what they do. Jesus says, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for Egypt out of them. I want Egypt out. I'm putting my spirit in. I'm going to full, full, full with my spirit. I think it's amazing. And in the very last three verses of this whole book, this whole book that we've read, 40 chapters, in all the travel, say all. Like all means all. In vows at weddings, we should just say all things. But we say better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness, health, beauty, fading beauty. I don't know. Like it should all be in those vows. And, and we should just be able to say all. But in the English language, all doesn't mean what all means. But all means all. In the good times, in the bad times. When they've been in the desert 39 years and six months or six months. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tavern, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the south of all the Israelites during all their travels. See that word all, everywhere. All the Israelites, all their travels, all circumstances, all situations. Imagine the little five-year-olds running into the to tent to the family and saying, Dad, Dad, God's on the move. The, the pillar of, of cloud by day, it's moving, it's moving. Or coming in as they're about to go to sleep, and Dad, God's on the move. The pillar of fire, it's moving. Why? Because all, not just 40 to 40 or five-year-old males, all. He says, I need to teach my people. I need to rip Israel out who only responded to the whips of a slave master. I need them to respond to me. To me. I need them to be a people who trust that when I move, I don't need to come to them and say, okay, guys, here's the plan. We're going four Ks this way, three Ks left, like Scott Scott used to do. We're getting in a helicopter and then we're going all the way. No, no, no. Just follow me. Because one day there'd be a Savior who would come. And he just say these words. Will you follow me? But you don't know the economy, Jesus. Really? Might know a little bit about it. You don't know the politics that are happening in our world. You don't know how, how everything is shifting and every construct of marriage and sexuality is up for grabs. You don't know, Jesus. Really? Have you read Revelations? I don't know. I knew it all. When I got on that cross and they nailed everything to me, I knew every part of it. Now follow me. Stop trying to make your tent nice in a desert. Oh, God, I've just got my tent up. Just got the tent pegs down. Look how nice we made it. We've just figured out how we go from camping to glamping. Jesus, not now. 
God says, I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. I need Egypt out of your heart. I need Egypt out of you. Can we stand this morning, please? The Exodus, to me, as I read it, is about many things. It's a God of miracles. He does miracles. Brings water from a rock, manna from the sky. Brings victory over enemies that we had no skills to defeat. Opens up seas and allows people to walk through on dry lands and then covers. It's all those things. And I'm going, yes, God. But I don't follow signs and wonders. I follow where they lead and I follow to the one they lead me to. The glorious king. Which means I've got to leave Egypt behind. Which means I've got to trust him on the way out. Sometimes lonely. Maybe no preacher's ever told you. I want to tell you, sometimes your Christianity is going to feel lonely. Sometimes it's going to feel hard. But God, everyone's doing that. Trust me. Everyone's, trust me. Our Father, who art in heaven, we trust you. If I could get one revelation into your heart and your mind today. God's not cared about what your tent looked like in the desert. He wants you following him. To do that, he wants you not turning back. He wants you moving forward and through and praising him in the process. Finding and encountering that his economies, his policy, everything is different about Jesus. And trusting him for the next step, the next five steps. The next days, the womb that you're trusting to be filled, the freedom in your finances you're trusting for, the relational brokenness you're trusting for healing in, and the more and the abundance of John 10.10 10, that you believe and you hold on to. It's not found in, I'm not going to be in Egypt. It's found in, I will be with God. I'll be with Him. I'll be with him. I'll be with him. I want to be with him. Because there's nothing better than our God. If you this morning saying, Mark, there's, there's a pull to Egypt in my heart sometimes. It might be relation. It might be finances. It might be areas of sexuality. It might be a million things. Well, I'm inviting you with myself. As I'd love to pray for us this morning. Because there's a pull to Egypt in my heart sometimes. God says, I want you free of Egypt so I can take you in. If that's you this morning, will you raise your hands with me? I have to pray for us. As God is wanting to do things in this room with us. God, Spirit of God, I pray a simple prayer. Show us, Jesus. Show us the Father. Let my heart encounter a revelation of the glory of God and be captivated. So that trust would be my default. So that trust would be my currency. So that trust would be my language, my thought life, my spiritual life, my heart life. So that trust in the living God. Thank you so much for watching and listening. That was an amazing sermon. And we love seeing what God is doing in and through our lives as we move through the book of Exodus. So if you'd like to find out more, 
or give the rest of the series a watch or listen, head over to our website, follow us on social media and get connected. We'll see you soon.